Well, awesome. Good morning, everyone. Um, we've got Jeremy with us here today, and we have already started cheating, <laughs> talking about um, adding media. So we got the four topics, brain, education, neural pathways, brain, um, education, neurodiversity, and presenting it, um, creating content, multimedia. So Jeremy, you were telling about uh, what your mental health idea. So one of my problems is that I struggle with ADHD pretty bad. Um, I've been wanting to create content and I've been mainly because I've been asked to, I never really thought about wanting to be famous on YouTube or anything like that. But I've had a lot of parents say, I would really like to have some of your content. And I'm like, most of it, I just talk about. It's just yeah. a combination of the research and training that I've had. So I thought what would me maybe be a more powerful message than me just giving a presentation. Cause I feel like a lot of people will see me give presentations and say, wow, he's, he's so with it and he's so intelligent and he knows all these things. And I'm like, I don't do any of this stuff. I'm just telling you to do it. <laughs> yeah. Right. Which if you meet mental health professionals, it's very common. Um, oftentimes, you know, psychiatrists and psychologists struggle with a lot of mental um, anguish because it's their job. They don't want to do it when they get home. You know, it's like the mechanic whose car is breaking down all the time, you know? And so what I was thinking about doing kind of for myself is doing my own accountability system where I do maybe a weekly video log and talk about my goals and what I'd like to get done and how I'm, what I want to overcome, maybe cases I've worked on or parents I've met or things I've learned. And then the next week I talk I have a segment where I talk about what I didn't get done and, and, and I have to kind of admit to my viewers that I blew it. And I think that it'll help them. I'll be giving them the advice, that, but I also want them to see that it's not just them. Like there's a lot of people that they probably look up to. And that's one of my biggest complaints, I think, overall about life coaches, motivational speakers, um, public figures, is that they try their best to have an, a, a, the view of perfection because it makes them feel like they're more credible. But at the same time, vulnerability is a, is a really hard thing to show. And so I, I think that it'd be good for me to just be like, yeah, I blew it. I didn't eat good. I was totally going to eat good. I was going to exercise. I only did it twice. And, and maybe it'll inspire people to be more open about their mental health. And, you know, I'll talk about when I'm depressed. I'll talk about when I feel lonely because it'd be, you know, it's like a medical journal. Like if I, if I was having an autoimmune disorder, I would talk about when I got a cold or when, when I felt really sick or I was nauseous today and I'm working through a medical process. And this is a physiological or psychological wound, psychological damage that I'm sustaining. And I talk about what I'm going to try to do to fix it based off research, based off talking to people like you, Gail, where I learn new information or I go to a seminar and go, you know, this sounds like a great idea. I'm going to try it and really actually attempt to do it. Now, and show people how hard it is to shift behavior, how to change yourself. I want people to see this, why it's how-to brain. It's a, it's, a, it's, a, it's a direct me as a, a professional trying my best to implement these tools. That way, when people watch, they're like, oh, good, it's not just me. It's like, yeah, yeah, there's a lot of really good tools. Everyone knows you're not supposed to eat fried food. Everyone knows you're not supposed to stay up all night and get up super early in the morning. There's a lot of stuff we know what not to do, but we can't help it. We can't stop ourselves because of we don't talk to anybody about it. We don't reanalyze it. We don't, we keep it to ourselves. It's our public, it's our private shame, you know? Mm -hmm. And the problem is 
a lot of the problem that I have, I think it just stems from public schools. You know, ever since kindergarten, we've been trained to believe that failure is a bad thing, even though it's one of the most important steps in human learning. So I want to start being more open. And it, it's something I could do really simple. I'll just pull out my phone and say, hey, you know, I did pretty good. It's Monday, maybe maybe a Friday or Monday. I don't know. I got to figure out a good day to do it. But it's like, what have I done in the last week? Have I stuck to my goals? Am I really doing breathing exercises? Am I doing meditation? You know, am I keeping a thought journal? Am I allowing thoughts to ruminate? You know, and so I think that, or I hope that people will look at that and see that's how do you do it? You know, that's a good example. That's not, they're not have to do the same exact tools and the same exact approach and the same exact thing, but knowing that it's a process and watching somebody else struggle through it, who, and it, that's one of the things I don't want people to believe that I'm just like, oh, I'm totally great. Everything's fine. Like I don't get sad. I don't get upset. I don't get mad. And it's like, of course I do. I just don't do it in during zoom meetings. Yeah. You know? Right. Um, so the mention of, of that, uh, um, well, we were talking earlier, I think before camera about Twitch, TikTok, some of these mm -hmm. other tools that are, I'm there because, and I know you were talking about creating content there too. Uh, I'm there because that's where the coming parents are going to be and the coming, the coming generation, right? Mm -hmm. So not everybody's going to still be on, you know, Facebook or wherever. So the keeping that, that keeping ahead of the game, right? Trying to stay half a step ahead of people. So um, where Twitch TV got started was long ago, this guy named Jason strapped a GoPro 24 seven, streamed it. And that's where eventually evolved into Twitch TV, which now that, that Jason.tv or whatever channel he had set up is gone. And he's now doing um, uh, angel capital work. So he's moved on quite a bit, but within okay. seven years, that's how Twitch got started. It's amazing when stuff, yeah, and it's just like anything. It's like, uh, you know, and, and that's the problem is that people think that when they do these channels, they have to be a character, you know, and, and that, I think that's one of the biggest problems that we run into. That's one of the things I've been really researching a lot is this concept of the ego. And it really brings me into, I was talking to a group yesterday and there was a few people with autism in there. And I asked them, I was like, does it sometimes feel like you're ego immune, but society is desperately trying to teach you how to form an ego? <laughs> yeah. And the problem with the ego is it's a story. We've watched so many movies and books and TVs that we're all obsessed with this idea that we have to have a good story. That's how you had a good life is if your story is good. A lot of the people I've met with autism they love other stories, but they just don't see themselves as a story. And so we just spend years and years trying to teach them to make a story, which causes the problem with having this story as being who you are, is it causes a lot of anxiety. You start looking back at things that happened 10 years ago, and that's part of my story. I'm a bad person. Like, no, it's life isn't a story. It's a series of upgrades or downgrades. But the idea is it's a series of moments. It's every single day is its own tale. It's not anything to do with the story yesterday because yesterday does not exist anymore. And I think with odd people with autism kind of already know that, but that's what separates them from everybody else and makes us fear them. 
So back to something you said earlier, which is that shame and vulnerability of not being perfect, right? So that 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 I think it would be very compelling. Uh, in my stories, it's not about me. Very seldom is anything about me, but it, boy, it's about John. <laughs> and I've even met people out in public that said something about famous. And I said, no, no, they I said, he's famous. And I said, well, it, it's not even that. It's that his choices or what are the choices of people? So mm -hmm. if we can get past this thing about being perfect, which that was really easy for me, I lasted like mm -hmm. nothing, <laughs> way past that. But we share the ups and downs. We share the vulnerability that makes us compassionate. That builds the village, right? Nobody wants to be with somebody who's always perfect and little miss know-it-all and that kind of thing. So um, I think I, I, that goes back to something you said, which I think that really builds um, I mean, nobody wants to talk to somebody unless they share the same scars. Yeah. You know, and, and it's funny, I, I, here's a really good analogy that, that I, that it's just a, it's a real world analogy that I heard. So I had a roommate that hadn't really worked before. He was young and I got him a job working with my uncle on his food truck and they were learning. He learned some culinary skills and like how to prepare food and how to do it quickly. And one day he was cutting and he, he was doing it recklessly and he cut his thumb really bad. And he was more mad at himself, I think, than really hurt. And so they all came up. My uncle cleaned it, dressed it, showed him how to wrap it up. Like, you're fine. And he was like, I just feel so stupid that I, I blew it. And then they all started to go, look at this, look at this, mm -hmm. look at this. Look at all the other people working there bared their scars to him which made him feel like, and he got home and was like, it was really a cool moment because I could see they've all been there. They've gone through that. I'm like, we are totally okay with doing that with physio physiological damage, or I'm sorry, yeah, you know, physical damage. Mm -hmm. I'll show you where I broke my leg. I'll show you where I lost my tooth. I'll show you where my earlobe got cut by a, on an ATV ride, you know, through the woods or something. Mm -hmm. And, but when it comes to psychological scars, someone's like, you know, my girlfriend left me and you're just like, I'm sorry. And it's like, that's, I get why people want to say something like that, but that, that, in other words, it's like, you're basically saying you should be sad. <laughs> like that's, yeah. Things of like, oh, wow. Like that's, that's a hard thing to go through. How are you feeling? You know, like people, people don't know what to say. They don't know how to compare psychological trauma and damage. And at the same time. So if we're talking about, we just switched to psychology too, or added that to the pile of, of topics we want to be sharing at the same time, we don't want to one-up them. So, yes. you know, I have found that to be like, listen to the whole story and then build the empathy, not try to get my, oh yeah, I had that thing happen too in their second sentence, right? Mm -hmm. Not shut them off to build empathy, slow down on the building empathy. You can get there, right? And um, I had an issue here recently where I was with a young person and I should have realized that there was a reason that they seemed un- unempathetic or missing social cues. There was a reason I it just boom, missed me at the beginning, but we went back and talked about it at the end, you know, later on. So when things are comorbid, big fancy word, right? When, when somebody has an issue that's, that they're dealing with more than one thing, sometimes one can mask the other. And then we get all caught up in what's the, the, the major irritant or the dif difference or whatever is causing, you know, the little bit of friction without trying to understand, let's go deeper, you know, let's go underneath it more. And that takes patience and time and not make it us the thing. Yeah. The ego. 
you're you want to compare stories to people because you want validation that your story is good, that you've lived a good story, that you oh you've experienced pain oh well it's nothing compared to the pain I've experienced yeah, and like even we don't even realize sometimes especially with kids that we project emotions on them which causes so I was trained to never never react with with like sadness or any kind of emotion when somebody tells you about a tragic event you just ask questions until you understand how the person perceives it and then you move forward mm -hmm. and a good example of that I was working with a kid it was the first session I had with him and I was like so how was your summer and he's like my grandma died and my first instinct was like oh I'm so sorry right but instant I was like nope I was like so were you guys close he's like not really she lived in another state I never really saw her I'm like cool and we moved on because if I had went with the traditional, I'm so sorry, there's going to be a little tinge of guilt where he thinks, why am I not sad? Mm -hmm. Maybe I'm supposed yeah. to be sad. Maybe, maybe I, man, I'm kind of a jerk because this guy obviously is already sad. He doesn't even know grandma, you know? <laughs> and that's what happens is that we, we immediately assume that the person's feeling the way we might feel if it happened to us with our person. Oh, you lost your brother? Oh, well, if I lost my brother, this is how I would react. Well, that brings up another element of psychology, and that is codependence. So if, um, and so if I project, which we women, moms, we're usually drowning in oxytocin. So mm -hmm. y'all have probably more testosterone, less oxytocin, depending on the balance. And I don't mean to overgeneralize, but so I have to watch it because if I, if I say, oh, I'm so sorry, am I taking ownership? Like I caused that, like, uh oh, now I've project, I put myself in the story, even when it never was supposed to have been there in the first place. Yep. Whereas how you answered it kept you out of the story. You joined him. Not my story. Find an elbow him out. Hey, I, I got this problem too, dude, you know? <laughs> yeah. And most of the time I wait until somebody, you know, they tell their whole story like, okay, you know, oh yeah, you went through a breakup. Okay. Well, what was that like? You know, was it, did you, are you guys still close? You know, um, you know, what, what do you, what are you going to do next? You know, what do you, you know, like, so what do you do when you get these feelings? What do you do when you feel sad? Do you let them go or do you try to stop them? You know, try to like, again, asking them real general questions about them. And then if it later on, you're like, they're just like, it just sucks. I feel like I'm the only person that, you know, like, I feel like I'm totally rejected. Like you could say something like, you know, I felt that way in the past when I've gone through a breakup. That's all you need to say. I don't need to tell you about my breakup. I don't need to tell you the name or who she was or why we broke up or how that, you know, that again, it's just, you know, I actually felt very empty after my breakup. And this is why, because psychologically, when your brain gets scared that you're not going to be able to, you know, flourish and reproduce. And it's over, it's a mortal fear. It's based off of, uh, you know, ancient fear of being alone because humans haven't done very well alone in the past. So made it kind of about me. So we connected and then I made it about all of humanity. <laughs> so it's like, well yeah, done, well so done, Jeremy. All the cells <laughs> in your body are scared. And so you're yeah. reacting to that. Yeah. So, but it's natural and you need to go through it. It's totally normal. And if you try to, and this goes back again to another really important issue of the trauma grief, and my kids are working through that <clears throat> with their dad passing last this past January, is you can't rescue anybody, you can listen. So when my kids, and particularly John, who's younger and is with me every day, he'll say almost every other day, mom, I don't want to be with you. I want dad. 
Yeah, um, yeah. So some variation of that statement. So I've learned it can't be about ever about me. So I'll say, I know you really miss your dad or, or, or you really miss your dad, don't you? Some kind of validation. Mm -hmm. And then I'll say, would you like a hug? And, and I do this with people out in the world instead of when they express something and I know I need to do something, but usually my words will probably be the wrong yeah, ones. You don't need words sometimes. I'll just say, would you like a hug? And they can say no or yes. Um, and, and it certainly works more than half the time. <laughs> and if they say no, then that's okay too. But um, that's another tough thing with, with kids or just people in general is that when you're upset, your emotional vocabulary goes on the fritz, right? Your, your ability to really process is, is dampened. Your, your IQ drops, your awareness drops. So John, for instance, he could be like, I really miss dad. He's not here. And how do I say that? He's like, well, I wish I was with dad, not you. And to us, we're, as an adult, we think if an adult had said that to me, it would be devastating. So hearing it from a kid feels devastating. You know, they're not using the same language as the adult because of their experience. They're using just what their brain went to. Their brain was like, mm, here's the emotion. That's going to be audio file number six. There we go. Oh, she's <laughs> upset. Well, I tried. You know, like, <laughs> it's like I talk to parents all the time about the word hate. Uh, most, most, most parents will have their child tell them they hate them and they, it really bothers them. Of course, it really bothers them because they have a lot more experience with the word hate. And, the, you know, I always see the human brain as this just hallway of doors and all the different memories are stored in different places, just like a computer, right? So if you open my door for the word hate, it's going to be very, very different than if you open the door to say, you know, a, a woman in the in the 1940s, right? Or or um, like an African American in the 1800s. It's a very different. Oh my gosh, gosh, this is what hate looks like to you. I didn't know. I meant this. Yeah. Yeah. And one of the the B word too. I talked to women about their teachers. They frequently have that called it the B word. No matter how old the kid is, it's a very common slip of the tongue. So I'll pull the pair that them aside and say, okay, so their brain does a series of combinations of logic. It says, here's a woman I am feeling negative emotions towards, and I want to let her know that. So I'm going to use this, you know, the brain being energy efficient, it's going to use the shortest, most brief, most abrupt way of saying, you're this. Yeah. And then now this child has a door that says the B word means a word you use when you're upset at a woman. But to that woman, the B word is in a warehouse of every time they've been called it, a friend's been called it, uh, watching, even watching a movie or reading a book where the heroines called it, right? Like those are memories about that. And so they go, oh, did you just call me this? And that child's like, no, I called you this, right? This is what I called you. No, you called me this. Like, no, I called you this. And that's the problem is words are not real. <laughs> and that's one of the things I try to stress with people a lot is that, was it 20% of word of communication is actually language? Right. And 80% is body. Is 80. Yeah. And 80 is the body. Mm -hmm. And we think that words are super important because advertisements, movies, TVs, it's convinced us that words are reality. That's why when you talk to people with autism and they're like, I don't think in words, I think in pictures. Mm -hmm. And you're like, that's so weird. Like, no, that's natural. Yeah. 
That's what we should be doing. We're the weird ones. We should not be trapped in this world of words. You know, think about the way Facebook is. You say one thing, I say the same exact thing, but because of the context, it's completely thrown out of, out of whack. Mm-hmm. You know, w- one of the examples that I, I like to give is texting, right? Like, Oh yeah, <laughs> deadly. You go on a date with somebody, it goes wonderfully. They're, they're, you have a great time, you go home, you're thinking, man, I really like this person, that was fun. Next day you get a text while you're on your way to work that says, what are you doing? And you immediately think, wow, that's, that's so nice to think that somebody's thinking about me, right? Like, it's a good feeling. You get this rush of like validation and I am important. I am worth it because this person's taking their time. Then you have the total opposite where the date didn't go so good. You're kind of like, eh, this person talks too much. And, uh, you know, I, I don't, I don't really have the same kind of likes and, and things and we don't like the same music. It's not going to work. So you're on your way to work and you're kind of annoyed. You're like kind of irritated by them. Same exact text, same exact intent, right? Mm-hmm. That person had one intent. Now you go, it's none of your business what I'm doing. <laughs> yeah. Why are they checking up on me? That's creepy. Yeah. And it's the <laughs> same exact words, but you get to decide what they mean. Yeah, that's right. That's right. Absolutely. It's kind of, you know, when, when Instagram came out, it's like, you can't post without a picture. Oh, so the picture is the most important part of Instagram, whereas other platforms, maybe, you know, like Twitter was 140 things and that they were important because they were scarce, right? So um, yeah, the media is, and then as we were talking earlier too about, uh, as we both are parent professionals and we, we have stories and we want to share with other parents and we're both willing to put our stories out there and be extrovert and all that about it. How do we use the tools that exist? How do we use the tools that are coming um, what's, what's good and what's not good. Right. Um, uh, and so you were, we were sharing about podcasts and, um, you, then you brought up your, your part about your, you know, individual stories, your personal stories and how, what our kids might wish or not to be known. So I always try to flavor it. All right. If anything I'm sharing, you know, I don't share much about my Saxton because, um, yeah, he's an adult, he can do his own. Um, John, I need to make sure that no matter what I try to share is not going to be shaming to him in 10, 20 years or five years. Or I mean, he's rising puberty now. So he's actually we're t- thinking about maybe setting him up a Twitch channel or, or some where he can start to share his skills. But then you don't want the trolls. So we're back to this paradox of things, you know, as we've spoken a spit of several paradoxes already today. It's, it's, it's kind of wild, isn't it? <laughs> It's exciting, you know, I, I think, you know, as an educator and understanding technology and, and trying to understand technology without sliding off the bleeding edge of it all. It's, you know, we, we talked about maybe a TikTok platform because educators are there now, um, maybe, um, uh, maybe a Twitch, you know, at the same time, we don't, don't want to, we're, we're doing Zooms now, whereas before we do workshops face-to-face, right? Are you going to be on Vimeo? Are you going to be on YouTube? Are you going to saturate the market? Now nobody wants to hear you. Are people going to think you're a blowhard? Are people going to, yeah, hang on every word because they can, they can gain from it. So these are all interesting, you know, factors, at least in my head, about as we build content going forward. And for anybody else listening to this, if you're listening to this, it's because you've got some kind of an interest in um, uh, others, not just yourself, I think. You know, um, people that are interested in the brain, it's, um, 
it's a great time to, to, to understand neural pathways and the brain is so uh, 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 miraculous. Really, generally learning how the brain works and how it malfunctions really takes a lot of the, the wind out of the sails of getting your feelings hurt. That's the thing. We, the more I learn about behavior, the more I realize that other people's behavior has very little to do with me. Yes. That's yes, it. absolutely. And no matter what anybody says, behavior is communication. If you just look at the behavior, instead of trying to figure out what's trying to be communicated, you get confused and you get angry and you get upset, which does nothing. I, I just had this conversation with a friend of mine yesterday. He's going through um, a divorce and I was trying to teach him how to just make peace. You know, like it's not fighting is not going to do anything. It's not going to do anything. I was like, what's the last time you yelled at somebody, called them an idiot, and they went, you know, you're right. (laughs) I am an idiot. Oh my gosh. I'm, I'm so glad you, you called me out on that before I went and voted because I, the whole time I was sitting there thinking that I was right. And it turns out I'm a complete idiot. Thank you for opening my eyes. And that's what I I hate about watching stuff on Twitter sometimes because during the election, I would just chop on this is a C every once in a while. And I just picture no matter what side of the spectrum you are politically, if you're sitting there going, this is it, this is the moment I'm going to sway the world towards the right way of thinking. Jackass. You know, it's just like, come on. <laughs> that was it. That was your, that was your opus amalgam. That was, that's the, that was the thing that changed the world. Like, what do you think is going to come from that? Mm-hmm. You know, what comes from that energy? Because if I come in and say, hey, guys, why don't we all calm down? Why don't we just take a step back from ourselves? And just, no, nobody listens. But if I come in and go, you're all dumb, I get all these comments, all this validation, all this, like, oh, people are looking at me. And people do not care if it's negative or positive attention as long as it's attention. Now, of course, negative attention will have long lasting ramifications. You'll have trouble with that, but it doesn't matter at the time. I don't care if everybody's watching me Everybody in the world knows who I am because I threatened somebody on a talk show and said, catch me outside. You know, <laughs> I don't care. I don't care if, you know, I was standing on the, the Golden Gate Bridge, you know, wearing a, a fairy costume and, and, you know, shooting bottle rockets. I'm famous. That's all that matters. And to some people, you think about, I mean, to get on a more real serious note, people are so shocked with the concept of public shootings but it's more important to be famous than to be alive. Even if you go out in a blaze of glory, everyone will know who you are. And every single time one of these events happens, APA begs the media to not put out the person's name and they do it every time. When it happens, when there's a suicide at a school, we would beg that schools do not have a memorial for this person. Mm -hmm. Don't make this person the most important person in the school because they hurt themselves. That, that you don't seem to realize being noticed is so important in a society that's obsessed with individualism, which is a brand new concept to the brain. The brain's never done this before. They never had the tools before. So when there was some posts and when I come across them about it's time for a detox, you know, because we're all overwhelmed with the online Zoom since we can't because of COVID get out and give each other hugs like we, you know, meet up like we used to do as, as easily. 
So that's worked against then all of the delayed gratification that we've been trying to teach ourselves, our kids for these years, right? And remember in the old days, it might be too old for you. You're, you're a youngster. Um, Andy Warhol's 15 minutes of fame, yes, right? Yes. So, all right, woohoo, you're famous. And then 15 minutes, clock started and that's it, right? So helping like not only, now. yeah, right. <laughs> so it's, it is, yeah, it's working against back to the ego. It's, it's working against the, the inflated ego. But if we can, you know, kind of realize, all right, it's not so much what I've got to say. It's more about your story and listening to them. Um, what's in it for them? WYSIWYG. Which is, well, no, that's, that's what's in it for them. There's a different acronym for that. But what's in it for me? You know, what's in it for the person that you're trying to serve? So, yeah, yeah. You know, exactly. like Mother Teresa, you know? <laughs> and that's the thing is that the, the people who do not, the people that I know, who do not typically have a lot of struggles with mental distress usually rarely think about themselves. And I heard a really good quote. I, I don't want to say, I'm not going to say who it is because I'll probably get it wrong. I, I, but it, it was true humility is not thinking less of yourself, but just thinking of yourself less. And Humility pops up throughout history, thousands of years of this concept of humility, and people have always attributed it to a, to a spiritual being, right? Like, I'm humble because I'm spiritual, but really humility is just a really good way to live. Mm-hmm. Just be like, you know, and, and there was another good quote that I loved was, um, there was this guru that was being interviewed by a, a British broadcaster. At the end of their interview, he said, what's one tip you can give me for living a satisfied life? And he said, never argue with a fool. And then the, the, the interviewer goes, are you sure? That just seems so simple. There's gotta be more to it than that. And he's like, you're right. <laughs> and it, you see the interviewer just, oh, and it's, it's so true. It's like, and that's what I asked. Um, I had that, I was helping somebody last night called me, their, their child was having a meltdown and they were like, sorry to bug you, but we really need help. And while I was talking to the wife, I heard the husband go, because she was like, well, I've been taking her back into her room and she won't, and I tucked her in and kissed her. I'm like, okay, you can't do that every time. Like, just take her to the room, put her in the bed and leave, right? The bedtime thing. I'm sure you've been there. And I heard the husband say, wait, you've been tucking her in? Oh God. And I was like, okay, listen, you just took away power from her. So now she seems like less of authority because you just demeaned her. He's like, oh, I didn't do that. I'm like, just listen to me. You have two choices right now. You can either have the behavior stop or you can win this argument. And he was like, I was like, you can, you want to win the argument. That's fine. But the behavior will continue. If the behavior continuing is what you want to stop, then you can't be right right now. You need to be united. And it's such a hard thing to explain to people because it's such a empowering feeling to be right because the brain loves to be right. That's what cognitive dissonance is, is as soon as I feel any kind of discomfort, me and you, Gail, I'm like, well, I think this. And you're like, actually, I just read research. They disproved that. And I'm just like, well, I got to go. You know, because people, it's like, do I believe Gail and accept that and go through that little bit of discourse that I just, I've been teaching the wrong thing or the thing I was teaching has been incorrect now. Or do I adapt and move forward? Like those are my choices. Stay here and be sad and mad or move forward and deal with a little bit of discomfort. 
Yeah, absolutely. And to your point about the um, the humility, I was just listening to, um, well, my news of choice is PBS. So the, okay. the news hour, I listened to that. And um, so two days ago on December 2, the last segment, they brought in a, a young PhD. She was female telling the story of luck and skill. And mm-hmm. so she's got a lot of education and then she's a poker champion. And her point was that um, there's I'll just I'll, one sentence book report here. Um, I posted it on Facebook. So it's the link is there for anybody who wants it. It's December 2, the last segment, uh, PBS uh, news. And so you do all that you can uh, to, um, to make the best choices. I mean, everything that you would think of, right, to, for skill. And then just uh, when you, if, and then hopefully you'll get lucky too, that there's a lot more to luck, a lot more luck involved in a lot of things. But she said, if you win, stay humble because luck probably played a part too. And you never know about that. Anyway, it was, she did a much better job of course than I did right there, but it was, it was really, really good. Succinct bottom line, you know, that, you know, if you're, if you think you're winning, stay humble because exactly. it could just, could just have been luck. <laughs> you know, that reminds me, Gail, um, there's another organization that I've um, been helping. Uh, they're actually wanting me to be a CFO for them. It's, a, it's kind of a, a live coaching platform, but it's more of an accountability system than it is just telling you how to be, live a good life, you know, because there's a lot of live coaches out there, I'm sure you know. Yes. And it's kind of saturated right now where it's like, I'm just good at talking to people. I, <laughs> you you got to be careful with that too, because I, I talk to so many of these like life coaches and I'm like, you're doing therapy. They're, oh, is that what that is? I'm like, stop. You're going to get in a lot of trouble. You could hurt somebody. Like, this isn't okay. Like, you, you, you just, you can't just read about an article online and go give some therapy. That's one of the reasons I don't give therapy because my license restricts me to the public schools. So I, I can be, I'm careful. I'll give general broad advice and teach about the brain, but I can't provide one-on-one therapy, you know, and a lot of people out there are doing that. So anyway, this group that I'm talking to, they have a, a, a Wednesday night Zoom meeting at six to seven. And it's the whole point of the platform is discussing mental distresses in a group. And the guy's daughter is starting a a youth one. And one of the dads that's there has two sons. One of them's autistic. He's probably close to John's age. And he does, he'll get up and talk. Um, He gets way off topic, but I've been able to actually get him back on topic. And his dad's like, wow, you're pretty good at that. I'm like, yeah, you know, and so we're going to, they want to start doing this youth group where they, young teenagers and, and, and preteens come out and talk about their stresses and really have an open forum to talk, have a week, a day a week where they can be open about it. And, and he's starting a, a podcast. that's going to be the same thing where he interviews people about their mental struggles and how they went over it and how they made it through and just, just being open and kind of like the how to brain thing. So it kind of, works in tandem pretty well, but I, I want to invite you next week. Yeah. I'd love, I'd love for you to meet him because it's just good networking. He's in the, they're in California. Yeah. That sounds wonderful. Um, and so back to the HIPAA and non-HIPAA, the cert, depending on where your certification is. Right. So those of us who are also engaged in like mental health, which I am as a parent. So I remind people that, yeah, I've taken all these classes, but I'm not going to take your money. I'm not, that's not, I mean, I've read every self-help book. Well, not in the last two years, but prior to that, right, um, that there was. But as an educator, so you and I are both educators, that, that allows us to speak more broadly sometimes with experience or 
um, but not um, not in a HIPAA environment. So I'm actually I chose that specifically so that I it what it, it, it's a different kind of we're looking at privacy that they, yeah. everybody needs to keep their feeling like you said about the argument of and, and letting everybody keep their power, letting everyone feel, you know, like uh, that they have um, they're being heard and recognized and and all of that. So yeah, it is um, it's tricky business sometimes trying to. I don't give people advice. People ask me and I say, well, I'll tell you what I've done. Yes. Well, that's a good I'll tell one. you, hey, here's a story. Here's pictures along the way, just like you're trying to, you're talking about with your podcast. I'll show you every step of the way. This is what's happening to us, where yeah, we've this gone. Is doing it. This is how I'm doing it. And but, I, like I said, I think it's important to show people that, yes, there is a lot of research and yes, there's a lot of resources on how and how not to do things it doesn't mean that it's easy to implement. Yes, that's right. And I want to show that. I'm like, I have a lot of improvement I need to make. I've come a long way in the last two years. That doesn't mean I'm done. I don't want to ever be done. And I want other people to see my journey. And like, I blew it. I, I totally didn't. That project I talked about, I didn't get content made. I didn't work on my YouTube page. I didn't. I just played video games, you know, and that's that happens. So that somebody else can sit and look at me and be like, that's, I get it. Like, I do the same thing. That's cool. Like, I, that's not just me. I don't feel stupid. It's just something. And I want to, as I go, explain why it happened because I need to, it helps me. Every time I talk to somebody else about how their brain works, it reminds me that I have the same brain. Cause sometimes I'll sit and talk about the brain and be like, wait, the brain is actually saying that. I, I read a professor one time. I love this quote. He said, never trust the brain because it named itself. And then it told you what it does. <laughs> I don't get it. <laughs> but it came up, the brain came up with its own name and then told us all what it did. Because oh, all okay. the research, all the knowledge we've gone, we used our brains to get there. So how do we know? He's tricking us. So oh yeah. He yeah. Was a goofy professor. He was funny. Right. And it was just something we all laughed about. He's like, don't trust the brain. Right. The one that told <laughs> you what it does. You can't, you can't <laughs> Yeah, I was in a situation two or three days ago where I made a, a very short-lived, but a possibly catastrophic snap decision about somebody because I was at the wrong address. And um, I thought, this looks like a meth lab here. You know, uh, why am I going to go in that house? Because it, it was the wrong address. I just, the numbers, GPS let, let me down. Um, but uh, yeah, it was, uh, we have to laugh at ourselves. So back to your point about video games compared to building content. If you're dealing with self-care and trying to not get burnt out, then the smartest people in the providers that'll take your money will say, well, maybe you're practicing self-care. And that you, and I find this myself, if there's some days where I just can't get SWAT done, I'm thinking, all right, Gail, there's a reason your brain's telling you <laughs> that you don't want to do anything. And so take advantage of that. There's sunshine out there. Go out in the sunshine, right? And, yeah. and recoup, recover. So you gotta, you gotta take a take a somebody uh one of a counselor that I went to, she she told me um especially with me, one of my problems, she's like, Jeremy, you really need to take a break from being a human doing and allow yourself to be a human being. Yeah. And it sounded so silly and 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 cliche, but it makes a lot of sense. We aren't measured by our production. That's a capitalist ideal. If I didn't produce anything today, it doesn't mean that the day was wasted. Unless I sat around all day thinking about how I'm not producing stuff, then it's wasted. That's what anxiety sucks. Well, we, and and yeah. and it also hits. You said industrialism, but it also hits our public school system because it was all set up to produce factory workers. 
And so what is it that we do to the first, uh, well, not, not counting the first five years, right? But if you count preschool, the first uh, 18 years of a kid's life is we shove them into cookie cutters. Yeah. Yeah. And we and shove the parents into cookie that. cutters. <laughs> and like, for instance, like my son, he used to struggle really bad with school because there was just not a lot of interest in, in the home. They weren't really helping him and stuff like that. So when I got involved and started helping him, he, he just, his interest level grew. And so his grades started to get better. He started to enjoy school and he started to move ahead. But then the school was like, oh, too, that's too far. You got to help these guys. Everybody needs to be average. And it's like, uh, what are we doing? That's one thing that really bugs me is that human beings have made it so far because we've allowed them to change. We've allowed things to shift, Right. And that's one of the things I try to explain to people, especially with the heavy political environment. The human experience needs progression and checks. And liberal ideas come from the natural need to progress. And conservative ideas come from the natural need to stop and assess. They're both extremely important. But our current society has taught us that it's this or this. Mm -hmm. You know, like one of the biggest arguments that I saw during the political debate was, Liberals were saying we need to do racial, um, uh, what do you call it, racial uh, training where you're um, sensitivity training. And conservatives like, no, we need to build resilience. And it was like, no, actually, we need both of those because without resilience, there are going to be mean people. You can't convince the whole world to be nice. It's just not something that can happen. And they're like, no, it's this. No, it has to be this. It has to be this. It has to be it's like, guys, you're you're both right. Like, and that's the problem is our brains are just trying to make ourselves fit into these little holes that somebody else made. Mm-hmm. Oh, I'm a Republican. So I, I guess I, 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 I got to do this and this, and that's me. And it's like, uh, no, that's, that's a concept. That's, that's a word. That's, you know, that's not who you are. It's one aspect, one little aspect of the multitude of who you are is your political alignment. You know, you have 800 different attributes and one of them is political alignment. And now it's like, all the attributes gone. This is it. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Hey, and, and, it. And then if it brings war, that's not, that's, that's even worse. Right. Like, and they said that, you know, you can't go to bed because somebody's wrong on the internet, according to your opinion. Right. <laughs> so. Well, that's the problem. The way our brains reacting. If I got on Facebook right now, Gail, my worldview is a hundred percent verified. Your worldview is a hundred percent verified. You and I could argue about a concept for hours because you're right, and I'm right, based on this uh, algorithm. Yes. Facebook wouldn't be famous if it just constantly disproved you. Yes. If you if you don't want to believe that clouds exist, and then you keep getting these advertisements about real, like that clouds are real, you're gonna quit. They're gonna feed you advertisement. Like, yeah, did you hear about this whole cloud thing? It's totally conspiracy. It's just pictures, giant projectors. You know, and you, it's it's designed to keep you on it. You know, the whole thing, if you're not paying for a product, you are the product. People don't realize that they're utilizing these ancient neurological concepts to keep us looking at our phone. Yeah, I think I told I think I told you before that they realized that that the the chemical signal you get from a notification on your phone is identical to an alcoholic taking a sip of liquor. It's it's definitely a dopamine hit. No doubt about it. And I said, have you heard about dopamine um, exhaustion? No, I never even thought about this. So you go through, okay, you, you've heard of the ecstasy, the street drug. Mm-hmm. What it does is it, it opens up the endorphins 
floodgate and it floods your system with endorphins. So everything feels amazing. Everything's great. But then you're exhausted afterwards because you are in, in, you become uh, anhedonic. You, you're anhedonia. You're incapable of feeling good. And so it's a very dangerous period after you've taken it, it um, where a lot of people self-harm or, you know, things like that, because you feel almost suicidal because you're incapable. You don't have any endorphins left. Same thing is happening with Facebook feed. It's just a constant hit, 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 hit. And it's not, it doesn't, it's not infinite. And so you talk to so many people. That's the biggest thing I hear right now. People say, I feel empty. It's because they are. Mm -hmm. The tank is empty. They've used up all the ability to feel good looking at little bitty posts and reading little, watching funny videos and vines. And that Mm -hmm. stuff really has a huge effect. Have you watched The Social Dilemma on Netflix? No, I've heard I should. It's intense. Yeah, I was told by like 20 different people and I finally watched it. And it it really, it's interesting because it's a lot of the concepts I've researched for a while. And it's a lot of the stuff I've been trying to help people with is that you got to remember, this is the first time in human history we've been able to watch the, the suffering of every single human being on the planet simultaneously. And it makes it feel like the world is on fire. But statistically, if you look at the stats, things are really good. Mm-hmm. Overall, things are pretty good. Can you imagine what it would have been like if they had Twitter during Attila the Huns Day? Mm-hmm. Oh my God. <laughs> yeah. I mean, he, he killed so many people, it changed the temperature of the planet. Wow. You know, like that, that's, that's pretty crazy, you know? And yeah, there's some crazy stuff going on right now, but this is the first time we've been able to see all of it. Mm-hmm. So we constantly feel like we need to be in pain. Well, that even goes back to the commercialism, right? Because I've, I've seen these posts that they, they've been, you know, the, the brightest and the best people in our, the young uh, graduates coming out, they've been siphoning them off to the big media. So we have the brightest and the best people trying to figure out how to keep you on Facebook instead of solving, you know, larger economic kinds of problems, right? Yeah. So, um, I mean, it's a great tool. I think it can be utilized for good. It's just, I don't think that social media and, and, and Google and all that's run by evil people. I think that they just built a system for generating money that they think that they're just kind of not really, they're not thinking about it all the way. They're not, they're looking at the numbers. I think it was Bob Marley who said, you have to be very careful with numbers because numbers are infinite. And if numbers are your measurement of happiness, then you'll never reach them. Yeah. And you look at people that are, you know, the concept of a billionaire, that's somebody who sees their number as their self-value. And so why would you ever stop? I can be more valuable. Maybe I can have trillions of dollars, you know, who knows? Let's just see see how valuable I can become. Yeah. And then how, how does that make me feel? Right. And there's, there's been some research that said that once you get past 70,000 annual income, extra money, extra income just really brings extra trouble too. So theoretically the sweet spot is if you make if you go just strictly on research if you say you're making 70,000 a year you know and this is a bad time to even be saying this out loud because of the covid all the tragedies that people are suffering through yeah. um but um the um uh, so back to that parent and social dilemma thing so when dad's john's dad passed he had been on his dad's phone plan so mom being an executor now, I just kind of let that lapse. And I, so John's phone's been kind of a brick. I mean, he can get at certain things. He has WhatsApp and he's been using that to text, but he doesn't really have access to YouTube, but he has it on other devices. So he was whining the other day that his phone doesn't have YouTube. And I'm thinking that's just too bad, buddy, because every other thing around here has got it. And you're just, you know, this is your sense. This is one of your tools of addiction. 
And then the text messages he's not getting, and the, some of the worst stuff I'm getting on my phone are the calls I'm trying to block. Wretched stuff, right? And I would not want my rising puberty kid to be getting that kind of crap on his text messages. Yeah. So I'm thinking, you know what? The fact that his is a pretty much a brick for anything except a few, a few other things where he has to have Wi-Fi. I'm okay. I'm not putting him on my plan. We're just going to let him kind of, you know, not have that access all the time. It's, it's, it's too much. Kids can't compare to reality or they, they see just the best, right? And we all know that no, hardly anybody, maybe you and I, we might post our dirty laundry or the, 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 the true vulnerability, but most people won't do that on social media. So you get just and that's a lot of parents. They're like, but they just, it's not fair. You know, like I know that they really want to use it and they just seem so upset and it really bothers them. I'm like, if it were heroin, they would act the same way. <laughs> yeah. If you've ever been around someone who's trying to quit drugs, I've helped a lot of people with it. It's it's hard because they're addicted and the, they're addicted to those devices. They're created to be addictive. Yes, they are. That's the best business model you can have. If someone gets addicted to your product, you're set. So we make that a joke. That's a mom John joke about, well, you're just addicted. And he goes, oh, I'm not addicted. And I said, yes, you are. And so he has to get his list done before he gets to have his goofing off. So his electronic goofing off, that's the only kind he wants. So last night he, it was still, it was bedtime, past bedtime and he hadn't gotten his list done. So I said, hey, go read. That's it. Read. No electronics after nine, but I'm a real, I'm a tough mom. I mean, there's kids that wouldn't want to be my kid. <laughs> and loving. But, you know, boundaries on the on electronics. And I, I've learned to say no, John. It's, it's tough to do. It's really hard, especially nowadays. But in the long run, you want to be able to teach them to, to connect back with reality. Yeah. But, uh, Gail, I, I do need to run. This was great. Oh, yes, it's great. Yeah. Awesome. So um, I will say our goodbyes, and then I'll stop the recording. And, and thank you for your time. It's been really valuable. We'll um, we'll uh, um, say archive this in case anybody else wants to listen to it and feel free to ask us questions. I'll post a way to find Jeremy and, and myself. Um, so uh, we, we both care about your families and your kids. Uh, we, would, uh, we wouldn't be in these high paid glamorous professions <laughs> if we didn't care. <laughs> so, all right, y'all have a great, um, great oh, real, day. And, and Gail, you might want to post this with the, uh, um, whenever you post it, I, I put a YouTube video. It's a, a German psychologist talking about the concept of mental hygiene, which is dealing with mental and psychological wounds as they occur, as if you would physical ones. So awesome. how to put Neosporin and Band-Aid on uh, loneliness. You know what I mean? It's great. And in the description of the video, he actually has a website with a list of resources. So super. Yeah, I saw that in the chat. We'll definitely be sharing that. So All right, great. awesome. Thanks, Jeremy. Thank you so much. See you soon.